Good morning. My name is Monty McCullough. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Grace Hill. And um, I say this when I, when I preach, but it, it truly is um, correct and the truth that I get a great joy from being able to do this. I guarantee you nobody gets more out of this than I do, and it's, it's always a joy. Um, let me pray real quick. Father, we ask to hear you this morning. We ask to see the beauty and wonder of your redeeming grace, the gift you gave us, your son, Jesus. We ask to see you glorified through this time and through your word. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, also, w- one more precursor I'd like to give. Uh, many times when um, uh, I talk, probably not many times, uh, probably every time, uh, when I talk, whether it's uh, a sermon or a talk somewhere else and it's Christian-based, I'm usually told, you have too much scripture. I love this book. Without this book, you and I will not enter God's rest. This morning's word is on God's re- entering God's rest. So I'm not going to apologize for the scripture, but um, I pray that it, uh, it speaks to your heart, that God speaks to your heart. Um, we'll be in Hebrews 4. If you have a Bible or app you want to turn there, it's just Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 10. With this morning, this message, I hope to show us the rest that God and Jesus call us into. The beauty of the gospel is so vast and broad that looking at it every day will not exhaust its wonder. One of the problems, though, that that you and I have is that we become too familiar with the storyline and respond too often with the been there, done that, dismissal. And, And doing that, we miss the blessing waiting for us as we move into the next topic. So walk with me through the scripture to rediscover what and where we find God's rest. And I also hope it shows us a more grand beauty of what our Father has for us, and we are drawn closer to him. I'm going to start in Genesis 1. Where else? Genesis 1, 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then you drop down to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And it tells us, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. If you read the creation story in Genesis, you will find that for every day except 
for the seventh day. There is evening and there is morning. That is the only day where we do not see this division of days. The implication is that there is no end to the seventh day when God's day of rest is over. It remains. God entered, man entered God's rest in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 tells us, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, that, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you said God put man in the garden to enter his rest. Now we read it was to work the garden and keep it. That doesn't sound like rest. What is God's rest? Let's read our scripture for today um, in Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let me read that again. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. As God did from his. It tells us that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God because whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his or her own works as God rested from his works. First thing to note here is that it is not only called God's rest, but also called Sabbath rest. Remember, he gave us a Sabbath, and he calls it holy. The second thing to note here is that it is for God's people. It's for the people of God. The third thing to note is that this rest remains. It has not been taken away from mankind's ability to re-enter this rest. And you may say, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean re-enter? We'll return to this. The fourth thing to note is that if the people of God enter this rest, they have rested from his or her works. And this is as God did from his. And you may say, wait, what do you mean rested from works as, as God did from his? And we're going to come back to that as well. So let's go back to Genesis where God put man in the garden. Genesis 2, 8 and 9 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Further down in Genesis 2 it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good... For man, 
that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So far in our creation story, do you see that God has provided and made everything, even that which man was lacking, and made sure everything was as he, God, declared on the sixth day that it was very good. This is where we started this morning. It was very good. So we saw that on the seventh day, God had finished his work and declared that day as holy, and he rested. What did man do to make sure he was secure and had everything he needed? Nothing. Man did nothing. He named the animals only to get a clue that there was not a helper to be found fit for him. And who provided that man and who provided what man needed? God did. He gave man a woman, and literally, God knows man needs woman. And all the women said loudly, and any man that has any little bit of humility and wisdom said, Amen. Amen. So man was in the Garden of Eden and had everything that was needed. I don't use that term lightly. He was in God's rest and he had no idea that's what it was. He had no idea there was any type of unrest. He only knew that he was not to eat from one specific tree or life would end as he knew it. He would surely die. You know what happened. Man and woman ate from the tree and immediately unrest entered their heart, their mind, and their soul. They hid from God. They covered themselves. And they feared. What is this restlessness I have? What will happen now? Then we get the first seeking question from God to mankind. God is seeking mankind. That's what this whole narrative is about. This whole book. Genesis 3, 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God knows that man exited his rest and his hiding is restless. 
is afraid. Man's response usually goes something like this to God. This person who you made, God, gave the fruit to me and caused this. And woman's response usually goes something like this to God. This serpent who you made, God, has deceived me and caused this. Blame shifting only reveals unrest, weariness, fear, anxiety, worry. Rest is not present, is it? Without rest, we end up going further and further down the path of being burned out with family, with job, with marriage, with every routine life responsibility that, that we need in order to provide the things we think we need. Are you feeling restless? Are you feeling anxious? Depressed on certain things and situations? A great many of the prayer requests that we receive here at Grace Hill, people that come down for prayer requests and or let us know their prayer requests are because of these feelings. And those prayers are good. They're needed. They're going to the right place because they're seeking the only one who can give rest. What kind of questions do we hear in the Bible from one person to the next that try to help them? What do we hear when it's from a worldly perspective? The first question in the Bible was not from God. God's first question was seeking man. The first question in the Bible was in Genesis 3.1 when the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree? In the garden? The question, did God actually say, leads one to doubt the wisdom and goodness of God. I'm going to take a chance on the sidebar here. Too often, did God actually say, Man wrote this. He put it together. Did God actually say these things? When Cain and Abel offer sacrifices and God has regard for Abel's offering, but he has no regard for Cain's offering, Cain became angry and his face fell. And Genesis 4, 6, and 7 says... The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen, son, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Wisdom, goodness. God is seeking Cain. Cain, in his anger, kills his brother. God asks another question in Genesis 4, 9, saying, Where is Abel, your brother? He's giving Cain an opportunity for repentance. 
But Cain's response is with more hiding and more blame-shifting techniques saying, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I would like to show you through the Bible narrative the kinds of questions that Jesus asks man in seeking him and giving opportunity for repentance. And I will tell you what ultimately will allow us to experience God's rest because of wholly depending on God for what we truly need, him. We truly need the Lord. Jesus was sent by God to be the final sacrifice for our sins to redeem us from our sin so that we can enter his rest, a rest that knows who is in control and who provides and who knows what is best for us, a rest that produces the joy and contentment that Alan was talking about last week in his sermon. If anyone here does not know our Lord Jesus, Please, afterward, come see me or come see. We'll have some prayer ministers down here. Come see them. Come see any of us. We'd love to introduce you to him. But listen to some of the words that Jesus says in Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Man does not reveal this to you. My Father who is in heaven did the father gave that ability to see jesus to peter who do you and i say jesus is in matthew 20 it says and as they went out of jericho a great crowd followed him and behold there were two blind men sitting by the roadside and when they heard that jesus was passing by they cried out lord have mercy on us son of david Son of David. They know who this man is. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately, they recovered their sight, and they followed him. Jesus, in his, com- in his compassion and caring, has pity for their restless condition, just wanted to know what they wanted him to do for, him, for them. He wanted to know what their faith knew he could do for them. In faith... What do you and I want Jesus to do for us? After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. In Luke 24, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, 
Peace to you. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus asks his own disciples why they are troubled, why they have doubts in their hearts. He invites them to see this is obviously to settle their troubled minds and doubtful hearts. Why are you and I troubled? Why do doubts arise in our hearts? In Luke 6, we see Jesus ask, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? What a great question. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Why do you and I call him Lord, Lord, and do not do what he says? Rest only comes through faith-filled obedience. Faith-filled obedience. I did not say faithful obedience. Faithful obedience would be awesome and great if it's faith-filled. John eleven twenty three through 27 says, Jesus was talking to Martha after Lazarus died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's a great Sunday school answer. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you and I believe this? Do we truly believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life that gives rest? In Luke 12, 22 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you're not able to do this as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
Which of us, by being anxious and restless, can add a single hour to the span of our lives? Jesus says this is a simple, small thing, and yet we can't do it. He allows that, he follows that with, why are you anxious about the rest of life? Enough money, I get it. Can we move on? (laughs) Enough scripture. God's word is also, and I'm not going to read all these, don't worry. God's scripture is also replete with questions from man like you and I ask every day. When the, the Pharisee asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Job asked, who can make clean out of unclean? He also asked, if a man dies, will he live again? Pilate asked Jesus, when Jesus said he came to to show the truth, he said, what is truth? Pilate also asked the mob in front of him, what shall I do with this Jesus? And then Peter, how many times must I forgive? Seven? These are the kind of questions we ask. Let's go back to our scripture for today and seeing the items that we noted. What does Hebrews mean by there remains a Sabbath rest? What do you mean, Monty, when you say we can re-enter that rest? Adam and Eve were in God's presence, his rest. And they chose to exit that rest by relying on something else. I remember a quote from Alan's sermon a few weeks back that I haven't been able to shake this quote. Um, where he said his therapist told him there was no such thing as doubt. There's only trust or faith. Meaning, if you are doubting something, you're really putting your trust or faith in something else. So what were Adam and Eve putting their faith and trust in? They were trusting a lie based on deception. Adam and Eve had a clear word from the Lord. Adam, at least, had a clear word from the Lord. Yet he did not do what God said. It really is that simple. The simplicity of the creation and fall story at the beginning of Genesis is why we go to it over and repeatedly. You and I may get tired of hearing it, but I think most of the time you and I want to give a blame shift reason We did not do exactly what the Lord has said to do. For some convoluted reason, we think there will be an understandable exception, and we think that exception would be grace. Yet that does not give true rest. I'll tell you a story about how I was able to enter God's rest. My wife, Lori, and I had been married for 12 rocky years, and the the Lord started turning my heart toward him and therefore toward Lori as well. I had been restless in marriage and was not happy, and, and neither was Lori. Lori wanted to leave where we were in Louisiana and move to either North Carolina or Virginia just to start over, thinking that would help. If it were only that easy to turn a marriage around, right? 
Anyway, I received a call from a good friend I had been in campus ministry with who was a therapist here in the Arlington, Virginia area. The clinic she worked for was a Christian-based, and they found themselves in the position of needing a new CFO. She said she knew someone and that they may want to interview and consider that person. Long story short, they flew Lori and me up to be interviewed. We interviewed, looked at housing in this area, and had huge sticker shock. We were coming from Louisiana. Huge sticker shock. They asked me what I would consider for an offer to come to be their CFO. Well, I gave them a number that I thought I would need under the circumstances to support us with Lori and our two boys at home. They accepted my number. They made the offer. And they also moved us up. All expenses paid. Lori and I accepted. Lori stayed behind for a month while I was up here working to pack our home and sell our home and settle our home. She had the hard work for sure. And I want to go on record as saying that. Selling and settling the house along with having both kids with no help, packing the house. Then she drove the kids up here. I was working long hours, but nothing compared to what Lori had. We got settled in a rent house here in Herndon. And there's a beautiful story that you should ask Lori about how we were invited to a church. Um, but I would go way too long if I told that story. We needed, so ask her, we needed a gospel preaching, grace-filled ministry like we didn't realize. We attended church. She met me. I was a youth director in a church. We attended church all the time, but we did not know we needed a grace-filled ministry that preached the gospel. We got plugged in, and we're growing in our faith by leaps and bounds. We found true community. We were just waiting for the next Sunday or the next community group. We couldn't wait. Meanwhile, going back to the month I worked up here, I was in the books of the clinic and I realized why they needed a new CFO. The clinic was in a downward spiral financially. I tried to work with the clinic to adjust salaries as a measure, but ended up being the only one whose salary was adjusted down because I had included myself in the calculations. I was then having to be on a campaign to try to collect very old accounts receivable and sublease space to try and cut our costs. My life was in turmoil. Daily, with banks, creditors, vendors calling, constantly looking for payment, making threats. I was doing the same thing to people who owed us money. And I was being yelled at by some, being pleaded with by others for more grace and time. The job was not fun at all. And it was a real burden. The primary owner of the clinic, the company, 
lived in Dallas. I'll never forget that he flew up to D.C. He came in my office and told me I was out of a job. I was to leave that day. Well, that ended one type of daily stress in my life, but started a new one. Lori and I were up here now in Northern Virginia for less than a year. We had grown up in Arkansas and Louisiana and left our network of contacts behind. We were in a much more expensive area and had another year plus of a lease that was one and a half times more than the mortgage we were paying in Louisiana. The only network that Lori and I had was our church family. I went on unemployment benefits. Lori got a job as an assistant in the Fairfax County School System. One of the therapists at the clinic had given me a book to read, encouraged me to meditate on the Sermon on the Mount. It was the collection of sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones on the Sermon on the Mount. And I started my mornings reading in that book and trying to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I would then spend my afternoon looking through one ads and trying to find a job. Some of you may not even know what one ads are. I remember my phone at the time was a Lego phone. It actually was a Lego phone. You could build on it. Um, my table was an old card table we had. And I would sit in our basement and office and, and, and do this every day. The point of this story is that during this time when we were restless about finances and future, I was offered my old job back in Louisiana. Lori and I had a clear conviction that we were where the Lord wanted us. We knew he would provide somehow. We realized that we were growing in the Lord and that here we had a greater benefit. Our hearts had a greater benefit even in the midst of the unknown. We trusted God and had no other reason than the community here that ushered us in to kingdom life. The unrest, depression, and turmoil of our marriage and home life was being redeemed, and our hearts knew this was the greater need. The Lord provided a job for me by way of our pastor making an announcement from the pulpit that I needed a job, and this announcement horrified Lori. She's sitting out in the congregation, Monty needs a job. <laughs> but someone in the church knew someone who was looking and recommended me. Amazing. The rest is history. And God was writing our story. 
Hebrews 3.19 tells us that those in the Exodus that did not enter God's rest were unable to because of unbelief. Now, did Monty and Lori lack belief when we were so restless in marriage? I can tell you that at least Monty lacked belief. I did not think God was Lord over this situation. I had managed it up until then, and I just needed to get enough strength to muscle through and keep managing it. Only this time, I could manage it in a different place with more money. Because we all fool ourselves into thinking that this type of answer really makes sense. We're deceived into thinking there is something better than God's ways. I did not know I needed to surrender. To sit in the lap and arms of his love. Telling me that I was his child. And that he would provide all I really needed. I was home at that point, sitting in his lap and in his arms of love. And that was when we were focused on his grace and gospel. The gospel that we are loved more than we could ever dream. Lori experienced the same thing. She was now realizing, as his child, she was home in his lap and in his love. You can rest there. That rest remains for the people of God. I told you I would come back to the phrase, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The work that you and I rest from is the work to muscle through and endure the shame to muscle through and endure the trials, to make our sin and our, our brokenness better ourselves? Really? We stop working to seek other avenues other than trusting Jesus and his body, his church. I want to add, believe in him, not in man. Believe in him, his church. He asked who do you say that I am? He asks, what do you want me to do for you? He asks, can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? He tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. He asks us, do you believe this? He tells us to come to him if we labor and are heavy laden, and he will give us rest a band can come on up you and I generally respond easier said than done don't we easier said than done why why I must force myself to ponder my answer to that question why do I respond that way what are we trusting Let's cease from working and rest in the lap and arms of God. Understand 
that it is finished. Jesus did the work. He declared it is finished. Pray with me. Father, forgive our stubbornness. We want to do the simple task of doing what your son told us to do. We want the rest that is your rest. We want the thrill of actually seeing you at rest and knowing through faith that you've got this. You've got this. Calm the restless seas of our hearts and minds with the stark truth that you know and have what we need. As the blind men could see and follow, open our eyes to see and to follow. Show us how to rest from the work of making things right and new. You gave us a path. Open our eyes to see it clearly. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.